host Tom Wells here. Today is Tuesday, December 26, 2017. Happy day after Christmas, everybody. We hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday, or if you celebrate Hanukkah, we hope you had a wonderful Hanukkah holiday. That ended a few days back. Um, or if you celebrate another variation, maybe you're a Kwanzaa celebrator or whatever, we hope you had a wonderful holiday, too. So, uh, Tom, how was your holiday? Did you have a good one? Yeah, I did. I got to hang out with a really dear friend and spent some good time going. Actually, went out to eat because uh, we didn't feel like cooking, but we had a, we had a great time. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We we I, I was telling you before the show, Louise and I um, had an interesting experience because we we went to visit her brother and sister in law for Christmas Eve and stayed overnight in a motel and then drove back Christmas morning, and Christmas morning in. Uh, New England had a snowstorm, not a really deep one, but you know, we had about two to five inches, depending on where you were. And we drove into that, and about uh, 15 minutes out of town in Rhode Island, we found that uh, we were driving with 20 feet visibility. It's like, wait a minute, what happened here? <laughs> there was no snow on the <laughs> Yeah, but, that's uh, intense. Yeah, yeah. Very I've been in that bad. situation too many times. But, uh, well, I knew what the situation was in terms of the overall weather map. Plus, we put out some really strong signals about, you know, how clear the roads were and all that. And, um, you know, really emphasized the positive and tried to turn the whole thing around in our minds. And sure enough, it started to clear up within about 10, 15 minutes, it started to clear. And within about 30 minutes, it was all, it, it was great visibility after that. But the first, first half hour was really interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like really how nice. you say you tur- you turned it around in your mind. <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah, yeah, you have to, because otherwise you can kind of yeah. freak out over something like that. As right. Most, as I the other drivers were doing, a friend by the who won. Was that? As the other drivers were doing, by the way, there was a lot of panicking going on out there, and I'm sitting there in the car. Oh, is that right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, people are going crazy. I mean, there were, there were some people. Now, granted, when you have low visibility, you have to drive carefully, but there are some people. Doing some really strange stuff. I mean, just like you, you could tell, they were just terrified of what was going on, and they didn't know how to wow. handle it. Wow. They, you know, I, I grew up uh, kind of like in an area where you, where you live. Um, I grew up in upstate New York, which gets a lot of snow, and so I know how to handle uh-huh. snow. I know how to handle ice. I know how to handle all that stuff. I've done it all my life. But when you lo- move to a place like Connecticut, Connecticut does get snow, but not nearly as much. And so the drivers, accordingly, you know, just, they just don't have as much experience dealing with it. And so, I mean, I remember mm. the first time I moved to Connecticut, I would laugh at the drivers. I thought they were hysterical because <laughs> they didn't know how to drive. <laughs> and it was even worse when we moved yeah. to Virginia. When we moved to Virginia, they, they had no clue how to handle it. I mean, just absolutely no clue at all. And so I'm laughing oh, well. more at them, you know. But Yeah. But, uh, yeah we've I got mean, a lot of that going on here because we've had so many people moving here from so many other states, uh, you know, because this is the, mar- the marijuana is legal here and. It's just oh. brought a huge influx of <laughs> thousands and thousands of new people in this state. And and the weather's been so warm because of, I guess, because of climate change. And, and so we've got this, um, when the snow does come, you can see how many people have never driven in it before. It's the oh, same kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things, if you're not used to it, it can be tough. It can be, it can be a real challenge if you don't know how to drive in it. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I didn't grow up in it at all, so I didn't. I grew up in Los Angeles, so when oh. I moved to Colorado in the early 70s, I had no idea how to drive in it, and it was pretty hairy a lot of times. Well, if you moved to the 70s, uh, now, that means now you have experience with it, so you know it really well by now, but I, I know what you mean. I can imagine how that must have been, because I remember how I yeah. learned to drive in snow. The first time that I was of age to drive, and we had a big snow, um, my 
mother took me over to a, an unplowed parking lot. And that's how I learned to drive in the snow. I just drove around the parking lot and just, yeah. driving, you know, doing turns and stops. Fishtailing. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you do it for a few minutes, like, oh, okay, I get this. Yeah. I can do this, you know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> in fact, I'll tell you another story. It, it, it's not really, it's sort of a law of attraction story, but not totally. I, I guess it, it probably is because I was, I felt a very high degree of confidence. But when I was in college, I went to a small school in upstate New York called Colgate, New, Colgate University. And, uh, there was one particular um, uh, Christmas holiday season where I drove back and I had a couple of passengers with me who were also students there. And we took a, a back road approach to get there, which was generally okay, except I, I missed a turn that I, w- I should have taken. So we ended up going over this really, um, for the east, high mountain. Now, nothing like a mountain where you live in Colorado, mm-hmm. but still, mm-hmm. you know, pretty steep incline and so forth. And came to the top of it, and the top had... This little curl around, and then starts going straight downhill practically. And you can see at the bottom of the hill, the curve goes off to the right. So it's not like you have a nice curve uh-huh. at the end. You have to, you have to, neg- to uh, navigate it. And it turned out wow. that the road surface, which had at one point been plowed but hadn't been completely plowed, had iced over. So it was glare ice with water on top, which is the worst kind, as you know. Yeah. You definitely yeah. don't want that. And here we are going down this thing at accelerating rate. And my passengers start to scream because they know that we're on you know, water and ice kind of thing. And <laughs> I didn't panic at all. I, I, I knew, like, I, I can get out of this. I'm sure I can. And so I just kind of wow. studied for a minute, and I realized there was a snowbank over on the right-hand side that was not going to be ice. It was snow. It might be kind of rough snow, but it would be snow, which means I can grab my tires in it. That's all I really want. I need to get traction, right, so I can get around that curve. And so I just kind of nudged the car over, despite the glare ice, I kind of there's the car over and it would have just enough traction here or there that I could do that until I got my tires in that, in that snow drift. And, and it was really rough. It was rough riding it, but we rode that all the way around the curve because that would, <laughs> that would hold my tire. Right. And it did. Yeah. So we got all the way around the wow. curve. My, my passengers broke into applause. <laughs> they thought for sure we were flying yeah, into the yeah. trees, you know, <laughs> you're the man, <laughs> but it goes. Yeah. I've been in some really hairy situations like that. The last thing you want to do in a situation like that is panic. There's always, as, oh, as, as long as your car actually has any kind of steering at all, there's always a way out of it. You just have to to calm down long enough to find it, and it's there. Yeah, that's where practice helps. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, didn't mean to scare everybody, but <laughs> I thought that was an amusing story. I should tell that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this is our first uh, daily dose of happy after the Christmas holiday. And, Tom, you came up with a an interesting topic because it ties directly into what Christmas is for so many people. So why don't you introduce it? Yeah, well, um, the topic is basically what does it mean to listen to your heart? What does it mean to follow your heart? Uh, you know, we have statements like uh, that are out there, like your, your, your heart knows best or follow your heart, listen to your heart. Um, what's the way of the heart? And I find that in my life, it's been a fascinating subject because it seems like the people that know what they're talking about when they say, follow your heart, what does your heart say? It seems like, well, they must know what their heart is. And for me, <laughs> it's always been like, well, what is my heart exactly? You know, I know there's one in my chest here, but, you know, is this, what am I exactly following, you know? So I thought that would be an interesting topic uh, to see. To just for you and I to talk about it, and if someone wants to call in, because I I would love to um, 
to get clearer on it, on what, what does this mean to follow your heart? Okay, it's sure. considered to be such a, a noble thing to not be in your head, you know, like, you know, can you get out of your head and into your heart and just feel, you know? And so that's what I think is fascinating about it. What, is it, what does this really mean? Okay, yeah, that, that's a good topic. And uh, by the way, if there are any listeners who are listening to this live, we know most listeners listen to it after the fact, but if you happen to be listening live and you want to participate, feel free to call in. As we said earlier, it's Tuesday, December 26th, currently 8.08 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, you'd be more than welcome. The phone number that you can call is 860-264-5432. That's 860-264-5432, and if you decide you want to call in, we'll be glad to include your comments about what it is to feel through your heart, to live through your heart. Because you're right, Tom. It's, it's one of those things that uh, we don't often talk about. What does that mean? But uh, I'll tell you, for me, it was kind of like you in the sense that for the longest time, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what, you know, what should I be feeling? You know, if I, if I reach into whatever my heart is, what, what does that feel like? And it, it can be a bit confusing. Um, what I finally realized is that I shouldn't actually make any big deal out of it because I feel through my heart all the time. I just didn't realize it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what made you realize that you feel from your heart all the time? You just finally dawned on you one day? Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how I got that because, I mean, it had been years that I'd been wondering about this kind of thing. And one day, I don't know, I think it just kind of clicked in my head. Oh, I know what it was. It was one of the shows we did. Uh, I can't remember which co-host it was. But it was a show where we were talking about contrast because contrast, especially the way Abraham Hicks teaches the law of attraction, is at the root of it. It's at the root of our living here and and how we have our experiences and so on and so forth. Um, and when I started thinking about the concept of, of of contrast, it occurred to me that if you don't have contrast, it's hard to notice something. We notice contrast really well, but we don't mm-hmm. – we don't notice sameness real well. Like, for instance, you know, the classic example would be a black cat against a black background at night. You'd never see it, right? You have mm-hmm. to have some right. sort of light contrast in order to see that cat. Um, similarly, uh-huh. if, if you saw a white cat in a snowbank in, in broad daylight, you might not see the white cat either. Same difference. So uh-huh. how does that apply to other things in our lives? Are there other things that, that we experience that we sense that we really can't sense it because there's not enough contrast. And I realized the answer to that is yes. And when I thought about it further, I said to myself, you know what? There's always been this feeling kind of in my chest area, solar plexus area. There's always been a feeling there. It never changes. It never goes away. It's constant. And I think for the longest time in my life, I just kind of dismissed it because I didn't know what it was. I It never changed. So I figured, well, maybe it's my imagination, you know, it did. Yeah, I wasn't really sure there was actually anything there. And as I thought about it, I realized that's my connection to the other side. The fact that it doesn't mm. change shows that it's the connection to the, to the other side. The fact that it doesn't change also shows why I didn't figure out what it was. <laughs> it would be too easy to miss mm-hmm. it because there's no contrast there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so that's how I figured it out. And if someone says to you, well, what does your heart say about this? What do you feel in your heart? So what's your answer? I, I mean, is it... Do you, I can't do you then anything. feel something, or do you search for that? Or? I can't say any, I feel anything different. What I do uh-huh. is realize, the, the one thing I have figured out so far, there are other people who know how to get messages and so forth, that I haven't really gotten good at that. And maybe like once mm-hmm. in a millennial I can get one. You know? <laughs> but for the most part, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not good at that yet. 
I will be. I think I eventually will be, but not yet. But what I am able to do is recognize that when I am in a place where I'm trying to attract something and it's not coming through the mm -hmm. way I want it to, then I can just check, okay, well, how does it feel there in my solar plexus? And I realize if it's not, especially if it's not happening, I realize that whatever it is that I have chosen to focus on or feel about it or whatever does not resonate with that spot in, in the middle of my chest. So mm -hmm. I can sense that much contrast. If And so the rule of thumb is if whatever it is I'm thinking about um, matches the, the good feeling that's in my chest like that, then I know I'm onto the right track. If it doesn't match that kind mm. of good feeling, then I know I'm on the wrong track. That That's the extent of my, mm. my control over it, which is what Abraham mm. teaches but us, you, right? But you go there quite a bit then to that that feeling. No, I can't say I go there quite a bit. I, I go there occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, most often when I'm trying to, to, to figure something out. Yeah. I mean, how about So you? would you say you're a person who lives more in your head or more in your heart? Or does it, or I do think, you even want to make that evaluation? I, I normally don't even think about it that way, but if I had to pick, I'd say I probably live in my head more than my heart, but I've learned to live more in my heart than I did in the past by a lot. I yeah. used to live almost yeah. exclusively in my head. Now, not so much. Hmm. In 2011, I, I had gotten divorced um, in January of 2011, and I had realized that my divorce was pretty impactful on my psyche, you know, on my whole consciousness, and it really was a wake-up call. Sure. And um, and I remember during 2011, I started doing a lot of soul-searching after the divorce, and at one point, I don't know, what, because it was what I was reading or just the realizations of my who I am as a person – and I, you know, a lot of people had said to me over the years, you know, wow, you're so in your head. You spend so much time thinking. And I was, you know, I've even had people really close to me say, you spend more time thinking than any person I've ever met. <laughs> this was in the past, not so much now. But I thought to myself, or I thought, you know, um, yeah, really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I seem like, because I've also had people tell me you're so, you, you so are in your heart. You know, you, you so heartfelt. You know, I really feel your heart, Tom. And. So I thought, okay, but I was always sort of confused about the two. And so in doing this show, I, I started looking into what, you know, well, what, how would I think about this in terms of law of attraction? And I realized I came up with some questions right away and says, well, is, is aligning with source the same as being in my heart? Or if I'm connect, if I'm opening my, to listening to my soul, is my soul the same as my heart, you know? And if I'm, if I'm, um, you know, aligning with joy and freedom, is that the same as being in my heart? Um, so, you know, how Abraham talks so much about the whole name of the game in this life is to enjoy the journey. And if we learn to enjoy the journey moment by moment, then we'll, it'll naturally lead us to the destinations that we want to manifest in our lives. Those things will unfold naturally because they're already in our vortex. So then I started to think, well, is my vortex my heart? And so it all started to dawn on me that in my in the way I look at life, those things are all synonymous. Sure. Um, I do this thing called automatic writing in order to get insight into my life. And I learned it through this class I took. Um, about what's your, what kind of, um, divine guidance do you turn to? What kind of a higher, higher power, higher guidance do you turn to in your life? And in doing that class, they, they help to say, you've got to get really clear on who you're asking for the guidance. Because if you're, if you're not clear about it, 
you, you might not really be trusting what you receive. And if you don't trust that something's going to come through, it's not going to come through. You're not, you know, because in automatic writing, you, you ask a question to your higher self or to whatever you believe. You know, if you believe in Jesus, you believe in Buddha, you believe in God, whatever you believe in, you, you ask a question at the top of the page to those higher powers, and then you just let your pen start writing. And as you, you, you don't um, think about what you're writing, you just keep writing. So whatever words come up, you just don't stop. You know, you don't have to write super fast, but, you know, you, you don't take your pen off the page in a sense. You just keep writing. You just keep writing. Just keep writing until you feel like it's done. The transmission, you've received it. And and when I when I did the work of saying, well, who is the who am I asking for this guidance? And I and it came. My answer came. I'm asking my heart. I'm asking my heart, my soul, my inner being, my source self. Um, the great mystery, um, mm-hmm. you know, what names like that, you know, like, or at first it was, I'm asking the creator, you know, but then it was like, well, what's the creator? The creator is my higher self, the inner being. And it started to all become one thing, but the heart was synonymous with all that. So I started realizing that everything that is taught about law of attraction is about aligning with source. And that's what you do first. And then like the the Heart Math Institute has studied the heart in great depth, you know, and there's some great books out about from the Heart Math Institute about what your heart really is. And they said that feelings are where everything starts. It all starts in your solar plexus. Then the solar plex, the the heart, the, our our literal heart, has nerve impulses it sends to the brain. Messages are sent to the brain, and then that's where thoughts come from based on the feeling that we get first. And then the thoughts tell our body what to do. And uh, they've, they've sort of figured it out. That's how it works. And so when it all comes down to it, it's like exactly what Abraham, for example, says is you've got to first get in touch with the feeling. Once you're feeling something, then you it'll lead to the thoughts. The impulses will come about what to do next in your life. So it's kind of like I'm starting to see there's this incredible system, the way it's set up is first we feel with our hearts, then then we think, then we act. So that's kind of what I'm I'm noticing. You know, it's uh, what, what, when you're describing, what do you think? What do you think of that? <laughs> when you're describing your automatic writing practice and, and you're, you're talking about how you're just letting it come, which I presume meant that it's it's coming from your heart. What's going on in your head? Well, in my head, I'm trying to not not censure anything I'm, that's coming. So if the word, you know, um, the word interesting comes as, you know, say the word, I may start my sentence with interestingly, and that's just the word that shows up. I don't censure it. I just say, okay, I don't know why I'm saying that word. So I just write interestingly. Um, I don't remember the last time this happened in my life. Now, I see that sentence right there. I just totally, that just sort of came to me. I don't know why that sentence came to me, but it just did. And so I'll start writing like that. And and so each sentence comes out like that. You know, I don't know why I'm saying what I'm saying. And I just let my, I, I try to relax my mind. So I'm not censoring anything that, that ideally my heart, my soul, my higher self wants to say to me. So I'll ask a question, you know, like, what do I, what do I do about this relationship? 
and then I'll, you know, I'll ask it of my heart, my soul, my inner being, you know, then I'll just start writing. And I find that when I read those, compared to when I'm writing from my analytical mind that where I ask the same question, but then I ask my, you know, I just try to use my reason to answer the question, it's a completely different read. It's like, it's, it's like the difference between writing with your right hand and writing with your left hand. You know, if you're, if you're right-hand dominant and you try writing with your left hand, to, to answer the same question, you'll often get a completely different answer. It'll be like mind-blowing that, that what your left hand will put on the paper compared to what your right hand will put on the paper. See, I w- and I it's the know- difference between the analytical mind and the heart. See, I wouldn't know about that because it doesn't matter whether I write with my right hand or my left hand. It's still illegible in both cases. But uh, I understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> so for you, you'd have to – I don't know how you could do this on the computer. Cause you can't you type, type with the right, with right hand, hand type with the left hand. hand. <laughs> <laughs> you could speak, you know, into a, a voice recognition program. That's how I do most of my typing. I speak into vo- voice recognition. And, and, you know, if I'm speaking and I'm I'm – disconnecting from my analytical mind and just letting the the words flow out it's definitely a different like i i would do that for writing speeches i'd go sit on a a creek up in the mountains here and i would take a a digital recorder with me and when i felt you know i'd sit in meditation for half an hour and get really tuned into the forest and then i would turn on my recorder and just start speaking and see whatever came out, I would record it, and then I would go back home and transcribe it and use that as the basis of of uh, developing a speech because I would want to see what my soul, what my heart wanted to say. And um, I find that they are different worlds than the world of logic and reason. Now, when you, so, do, um, when you do that kind of practice, do you <laughs> – uh, I, I want to send, say this in a, a gentle way, but I'm not sure there's a way to do it. So do you ever – do you ever just speak some stuff like that and play it back and say to yourself, well, that's just nonsense? <laughs> well, I definitely have. That's the biggest thing that it's kept me from being a robust public speaker oh, in the really? last, you know, because I'm developing myself to be a robust public speaker. But I want it to come from my heart. Oh. I want my, my, my speaking and my writing to come from my heart. Same as the blogs on my website. I don't want them just to be a bunch of logic and reason. I want them to to be a heartfelt expression of my soul, of my higher self, because I feel like my real contribution in the world has got to come, I want it to come from my higher self, from my inner being. And yes, the thing that stops me is sometimes I'll I'll dictate something or I'll write something in handwriting and I'll look at it and I'll read it and I'll go, well, that's not all that significant. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not sure what I can, how I can turn this into something that's a valuable blog or it's a valuable speech. But by and large, that's not true. By and large, what I do write, if I really look at it, I think this is actually really heartfelt, good stuff that's written here. And then my question becomes, how do I turn this into something for the to tell to the public, you know, to tell to everybody? Right, right. Yeah, because that's also the other part I would think. I would I would imagine that when you you're speaking from your heart, you're probably not always using the best grammar and the best diction and the best, you know, English, use of the English language, you probably have to do a little editing, I would think, to make it make it work. The, the funniest thing about it is that it, it, it it's so simple. So much of it is really simple. And I've noticed that from some channeled entities that I listen to or this teacher I had from India for years, and he's 
he's considered a, a, a guru of the heart. You know, he's like his name even means the savior of the heart, you know, and uh, or, you know, the savior of love, you know, and I'm thinking what, you know, well, what's that about? But his his words are always really simple. He's got really simple things to say. And I, but when you listen to it, you go, well, yeah, but it's simple. But that's kind of the main main message I need to know in my life. You know, oh, okay. that life is about love. Life is about joy. Life is about inner peace and those kind of messages, you know. Interesting. So but, so you're finding then you really don't have to edit it. Then it just comes out usable. For I long. never edit it. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just getting to the point that I'm going to feel I'm I'm actually going to take another course, and it's starting in about a week, which is about how to how to channel these higher, um, well, this higher wisdom, how to channel this heart wisdom through myself even more because I'm I feel like it's the only thing I want to do in my life now is channel my wisdom of from my higher self because I. I no longer want to just be a person who lives just by reason alone, you know, just by by my analytic mind. I made a decision 20 in 2011 after my divorce to move from my head to my heart, to literally made a conscious decision that I wanted to come from my heart more. And I feel like I've been working on that for the last seven years, you know, because mm. it, it hasn't been just a slam dunk easy thing for me to to be in my heart more. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a great thing to cultivate for me. It's like um, you think about Jesus, right, and all the stories about Jesus and the Bible and all that. It's like that seems to be his whole thing was to be heart-centered. And, you know, you think of Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela or, you know, these people we admire a lot, Mother Teresa, you know, and in a way – I look at each of them and I go, well, they were heart-centered people. You know, that's what they, they were mainly looking at what is the good of all. And, and when you listen to Abraham talk about source, they always say source doesn't see anything in a critical way or in a judgmental way. Source sees everyone as equally beautiful. So, you know, it doesn't matter who that person is nor what they've done. Source sees them through the eyes of love. Source sees them completely as a beautiful a beautiful being, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, when we're trying to align with source, when we're aligning with source, we're aligning with that part of us that that's coming from love. So in a sense, we're aligning with our hearts. You know, I don't see the difference. Do you? Uh, I'm not sure what we're differentiating here, but uh... – I would say Well, that, the difference between are you in your heart or are you aligning with source? Is there a difference? Yeah, I I know that's that, that's partly why this is an interesting topic from my perspective because for for significant portions of my pre-LOA life, by which I mean life before I became aware of the law of attraction, I mm-hmm. bought into the to the differentiation between head and heart and I understood my sister has always been very um we'll say mystically oriented and she would share her stuff. And then uh, I was brought up in a, a Christian church so that there was their side of it. And I was also an admirer of Thomas Jefferson. He wrote a very famous piece about the head and the heart. I mean, so I've, I've experienced oh, yeah? it from a number mm-hmm. of different uh, perspectives. Oh yeah. Uh, it was about his um, uh, alleged love affair with, I can't remember what her name mm-hmm. was when, when he was over in France, he mm-hmm. had a woman and, and uh, 
there, there is a, a lot of uh, debate as to whether or not they actually had an affair, but uh, he wrote this letter to her, and it became a rather famous letter called My Head and My Heart. Um, so mm. I, I, I've had a lot of exposure to it. After I became interested in the law of attraction and studied it for a little bit and got to the point where I was doing the podcast, I actually re- reached a point where I don't really see much of a distinction between the two. And part of mm-hmm. the reason I feel that way is due to conversations. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is her fault. This is this is me. This is me drawing my own conclusions. But um, she was just sharing information. But she is my sister-in-law, Yuona, um, who is a research scientist. She's currently pursuing her PhD in biostatistics, and she has shared. Uh, for a while, she was actually the co-host on the show, and she shared a lot of her research findings, which were really fascinating, um, that, that tied into you know, not only the law of attraction, but uh, a lot of things that we like to talk about here. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, she would explain to me how science has found, for instance, that a great deal of what we associate as being brain power actually happens in the heart, that actually mm-hmm. the heart is more brain-like than the brain. Right, and, I've heard that too. You know, so when you look at it that way, you begin to realize, well, are they really separate? I mean, they're they're two different organs separated by a physical distance, but that seems to be about it. I mean, your nervous system mm-hmm. isn't in one place either; it's throughout your body, but it's still the nervous system. <laughs> you know, so so yeah. are, are they separate pieces of nervous system? No, no, not really. They're all part of the same thing. Well, that's the way I look yeah. at it with the heart, the head, and the heart. I don't I don't really see them as being separate anymore. I think what actually happens when we talk about somebody who lives in their head, I think what we're really saying is it's a person who is cut off from the other part of the brain, the heart, the heart part. They, they, they are not uh-huh. paying attention to that part. And that's the part we associate with emotions, with love, with um, happiness, with joy, with uh, you know, enthusiasm, with gratitude, and all that kind of thing. And with the negative emotions, mm-hmm. too. We associate you know, fear and, and doubt and depression and, and all that stuff as well. We don't tend to put that in the head. We tend to put it in the heart. And yet, how often do we say, well, it's all in your head? Well, (laughs) once once again, we're really talking about an extended organ system between the head and the heart. So for me, it's an arbitrary distinction. For me, it it, it is not as meaningful as it was before I became interested in the law of attraction, ironically enough. Yeah. Well, the exact same thing happened for me. And interestingly, there was a piece I listened to, these another channel transmission that comes from the Council of Radiant Light, and uh, these beings, you know, put out in th- this one transmission about a year ago or so, six months ago, and it was, the title of it was, um, like, your mind is <laughs> is a beautiful thing, or something like that. It was the whole piece, you know, these three pages were about how your mind is so, such a beneficial thing to you, uh, that it, that instead of having that being maligned so much the way psychology and different different traditions that I've been noticing over the years make the mind almost like a villain. You know, they call it, um, you know, what do they call it? Your mon- your your um, monkey mind, right? Monkey mind, and it's got all these different names. You know, uh, all the gremlins that live in your mind, uh, and they they sabotage you, and they they set you up for failure, and they they do all these things. You know, because they're it's almost like you have this part of you that's so friggin' confused that it's just going to drive you off a cliff, whereas your heart will always steer you right and will never drive you off a cliff. It'll always take you to the right relationships and the right careers and the right health and everything, whereas your mind 
can send you on these crazy wild goose chases and it's like it's like this monkey that's out of control so you've always got to control that mind and um this whole piece was saying saying you know no, you don't have to think of it that way you know think of it as as this incredibly beautiful like you just described it it's 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 part of your heart it's 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 part of one functioning thing and it's called a human being it's called a human being that really knows how to be functioning in a really integral, beautiful way, when we quit maligning our minds so much, right? Yeah. So I, I agree with you in that sense of what you're saying about that, and that's a whole that could be a whole other show, you know, like <laughs> a whole other podcast about you know, well, what's what is it to uh, to use your mind in a in an incredibly healthy way? It's you know? funny too because when Yona was explaining the whole thing to me, she was describing how uh, there are uh, studies that have been done on people who have had you know, severe brain traumas and so forth to the extent that there were certain areas of the brain that are associated with certain functions that we do, either bodily or mentally, and the, mm-hmm. the damage was so extensive that those functions should have stopped. They should, they, they, they should not have, it should not have been possible for them to continue. And yet the human body found a way to continue them, and when they trace them, they find that areas of the heart took over. So the mm-hmm. heart was wow. doing brain functions. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. isn't like theoretical anymore. This is this is science, you know. And when, when science right. is saying that, you have to say, "Well, shoot, I got to pay attention to that. <laughs> What's going on here? This is interesting." Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I, I I really like it. But you know, all that being said, I got to say that I've had a battle with my thinking versus my feeling, uh, in a sense that I I learned so much to rely on my intellectual strength because I, I can be very intellectual, you know, that I, I notice even with law of attraction that sometimes I want to think my way into a manifestation, you know, mm. like instead of feel my way into a manifestation. So for example, I could, I could write down, um, you know, things I appreciate in an appreciation journal, which is, which is all about feeling appreciation. Right. Mm-hmm. But instead of feeling appreciation, I feel like some. I, it seems like sometimes what I'm doing is I'm, I'm writing the thing, but I'm not feeling the feeling. And the same as you know, let's say that I want to, you know, um, have a certain amount of money, and and I want to have it by a certain date. And so I write, you know, I write all the time, you know, like or I lay on the couch and I visualize having the money, but getting in touch with the feeling is where it all comes from. You know, Abraham says you won't get any of the things you want in your life without getting into the feeling. You know, yeah. you got to feel it first. And so I find that that's where the whole thing of not being in my head and being in my heart becomes so important. Like, what is it to feel it? And here's the interesting thing. To feel it for me means aligning with source and often it means going general. It means getting into a place where I feel joy. You know, they say if you if you can just be happy, get into a place where you feel joy, a lot of the things you want it, it, that are in your vortex will just flow into your life. These things that you want will show, start showing up more and more in your life the more you get into a true place of feeling joy. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, what it means to me is I've got to get into my heart. I've got to relax. I've got to chill out. I want to just feel good. And then... You know, basically, it means going from my head to my heart. <laughs> you know, it really is the same exact thing. Not being so much into the thinking about it, which often turns into worry and fear and doubt 
and trying too hard, a lot of trying too hard. So all those things are like what sabotages having the lives we want. We, we, we just trying too hard. We're thinking too much. We're worrying about it. We're obsessing about it, you know, instead of just relaxing and trusting, I'm just going to relax and enjoy my life. And these things will begin to show up. I think you're touching on the part that is the most uh, useful information, which is the idea that when we are more in our head and not in our heart, so to speak, what we're really doing is we are coming from a place of fear and doubt. And by mm-hmm. the way I would illustrate that in my own experience is when I find myself very cerebrally involved, it's almost always because I'm trying to make sense out of something. It, it, you mm-hmm. gave the example of something you're trying to attract, okay? So if I'm trying to attract something and I feel like I'm stumbling because I can't quite get my head around it, there's you know, the phrase, right, to get your head around it, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. where I'm feeling the most negative emotion. I'm feeling the most fear and the most doubt when I'm, when I'm in mm-hmm. that, that space. So it's almost like the, the two, what, one leads to the other and the other leads to the one in both directions. You know, on the one hand, it's the fear and the doubt that leads to me being cerebral. On the other hand, it's the, it's the cerebral that leads me to being, feeling the fear and the doubt. And it's all just kind of a great big way of saying, I don't know how to express this. I don't know how to mm. think about this. I can't think of a way, I, I can't find a way to put this in a, an abstract framework that makes sense to myself. Mm. And that's when I get stuck. So the the trick yeah. at that point becomes to realize, okay, well, if I'm not finding a way to put an abstract framework around it, it probably means I don't know it well enough yet. So if I don't know hmm. it well enough yet, that's where I have to start feeling it first. I have because feeling hmm. will lead me there. Feeling will lead me to the thoughts. And when, once I I have just you know kind of gone inside, and said, okay. So not only what am I feeling, but where do I feel good? Because you were emphasizing the positive emotions, and I think you're right about that. When I start looking at where are the positive emotions, where, what parts of my life are feeling good, and when, when I look at you know, what's going on that's good in my life and so forth, all of a sudden all of the abstract concepts I was looking for start to fill themselves in. Hmm. So that, that's the pattern you're describing there. You're describing that pattern of how, um, when you get out of your way, get out of your own way, and, and you just go to where your heart is, and you start feeling the joy and feeling uh, you know, the compassion and feeling the gratitude and so on and so forth, that it all just comes to you. That, that's the way it seems to me, too, and, and that's what I was trying to describe there. So for me, getting out of my own way, getting out of my head really means don't worry so much about what the abstract form is yet. You're, you're putting the cart before the horse. Find out what it's about first. And feel it first, and then it'll all make sense. Feel it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the when I was checking on my language, when I was really getting heavily into learning the law of attraction, I realized that a lot of the languaging I was using was um, reflecting why I had problems. You know, why I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be, or manifesting what I wanted to manifest of the degree of abundance and inner peace and good relationships and health. All these things were because I was, and the, and one of the main phrases I was always using was, I need I need to figure out how. Right. Like, so I'd yeah. be saying, I need to figure out how to get over this this condition in my sinuses, or I need to figure out how I'm going to really make more money, and I need to figure out how am I going to get to the point that I can attract the right people into my life, you know, the kind of friends I really want, you and know, we've all done that. and I got to figure out, I got to figure out where I really want to live, you know, right. and all of it was like, 
intellectual, you know, like, like I have a, I have a journey here. I have a project and I've got to, I've got to work on this project. And it's, I, in order to get what I want, it's going to take a bunch of hard work and a bunch of effort. Yep. And that's completely antithetical. Now that's the opposite way to approach it. You know, instead, like you said, get, you know, what's the good feelings I want to have when I finally have that amount of money, when I finally feel that health, when I finally have those friendships or that relationship with that one person, what's the feelings I'm trying to get to? How is, so it's like, and Abraham just talks about this endlessly. Like, can you feel this stuff now instead of waiting to feel it when you, when it finally manifests, you know? And so in a way it says to me, can I just get in my heart, get in, in that place in me where I can relax, trust and allow myself to feel these good feelings now. And, uh, and then these things will just show up. And the best clue that you need to get to that space is where you can't figure it out because that's right. the nature of it. When you, when, when, if, if you could figure it out, you would have figured it out in about 30 seconds. It wouldn't have taken long. You know, whatever the thing is uh -huh. that you're trying to figure out, it wouldn't take long. You'd say, oh, yeah, I know that. Here's that structure X over here, and it looks like this, and it fits together like that. Yeah, got it. Got it. But if you're not getting there, like in 30 to 60 seconds, it means you don't have it figured out, and you're likely not going to be able to figure it out. So that's the clue. Okay, mm. time to shift modality. Shift to you know, finding what feels good about it as a, as a starting point. Because when you do it that way, then you don't get stuck. You get stuck mm -hmm. when you stay in that mode of, well, but I got to figure this out. That, that's the stuck mode. I got to figure this out. I got to yeah. figure this. There, there's a way, there, there's a way out. And I, if I just, if I just put my logical thoughts together, I will figure it out. That's stuck mm -hmm. mode. <laughs> I, I feel like I used to fill up reams of paper in the past um, with exercises from different self-help books and things that were all in a sense, intellectually geared. You know, they were geared to say, use your mind really, really well, and you'll get what you want in your life. You know, become become a super, super intellectual wizard at figuring things out, <laughs> and and you can have the things you want in your life. Um, and I really feel like even that's, maybe that's what science does, and a lot of disciplines, you know, that we learn in college are about, Figuring it out, and then you'll get what you want. Do, do you think that's probably the case? Oh, I don't think it's just college. I think it's all of life. I mean, we are, like it or not, I mean, you can you can make the division or not make the division between heart and head, but the fact is we learn intellectually. That's the way yeah. our school systems are structured. That's the way our communication systems are structured. I mean, language is intellectual in nature. Um, mm -hmm. Not that there, that there is no emotional side to it. There is, but the way we learn it is through, you know, trial and error kind of things. You know, we're we're, we're little kids and we're 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 getting this this concept of food, 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 and so we try to form the word food. Well, that's an intellectual exercise. It's not, it's not like there's an emotional. I'm going to feel the word food, and somehow I'm going to say the word food out of it. That's not the way the mind works. It does, the brain doesn't function that way. So, of course, we're going to be in our heads a great deal of the time. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing. But the, the problems only happen when we get stuck on the abstraction, when we get stuck on trying to solve the abstraction. And the most common abstraction that we get stuck on is pain, which is funny because pain is actually has, has a, a strong emotional content to it. But pain, yeah, is, it, but pain is but pain is also physical, and because it's physical, we figure 
I gotta solve this pain. I gotta solve it. I gotta get rid of it. I can't <laughs> have this pain anymore. And that's how we get in, into like drug addiction and alcohol addiction. We get into various kinds of abuse situations. You know, we get into all kinds of stuff simply because we're trying to mask pain. You know. So are you saying that we're, go, we're doing that in our heads instead of in our hearts? or how, Sometimes we're doing it in our heads. Sometimes we do it in our behaviors. I mean, mm-hmm. and when you're doing it in your behavior, you're probably doing it a mix of the two, but probably more in your your head because you're stuck. You don't get stuck in your mm-hmm. heart. You notice that? that? That's what I'm trying to get up to. You don't you don't get stuck in your heart. You get stuck in your head. You get stuck in, like, right. I, can't, I can't find my way out of this. But you never get stuck in the heart. You always know. In your heart, it's like, I know this is where I want to be. I feel good there. Yeah, and that's why I I equate it in this conversation with aligning with source because, you know, when even when the, what Abraham will say, you know, you just got to align with source first. Align with source first. Alignment trumps everything, you know. And and so I think, okay, what exactly is it to align with source? You know, yeah. because yeah, I can I can sit and meditate, and then by the time I fifteen minutes are up, and I get up and I go to make my coffee or something, I can say, well, I guess I'm aligned with source, you know, and, but the only way I know that is if I feel it in my guts, I feel it in my heart, (laughs) I feel it in my Mm -hmm. solar plexus, there's a feeling in there that, you know, I'm not, I'm not like just thinking, thinking, thinking about how I'm going to solve anything in my life, I'm trusting, 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 and feeling, feeling good, feeling good, feeling good, Mm -hmm. so alignment sort of comes down to being in trust, being in a good feeling place, being in a place of ease and um, allowing, you know, like Abraham says, 100% of our job here on the earth is to be receptive to our own well-being. And in a sense, that's saying 100% of our job is to be aligned with source and 100% of our job is to be connected to our hearts. And that's, that's how I see it. You know, like when I, if I want to go out and give speeches to people that will uplift them in their lives and will soothe them and will be of value to them, um, I have to be in my heart and not be giving them a bunch of intellectual um, ideas about life and how life works. You know, the same as if I'm talking to a coaching client, I can't be telling that client a whole bunch of theoretical ideas about, well, if you'll, if you'll just align with source and you'll just relax um, everything will work out. I mean, I have to be coming from that place myself. They have to feel in me that I do that, you know. And and then they they'll, they won't learn by by the words. They're only going to learn by trying that in their own life and experiencing it, right? So everything really comes down to each one of us having this experience of what it is to be aligned, what it is to be in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is is how I know that there's no distinction between the two. I know that sounds a little bit weird, uh-huh. but, but let me explain. The fact is, when I explain something, when I talk about something, I'm not using exclusively the emotional side. I have to use the language side, which is an, an intellectual yeah. side. But I'm also drawing right. from the heart side. So I'm using both at the same time. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I, it would be impossible for me to communicate what my heart is feeling without using the words. So I have to include right. the intellectual side. It has to be there. On the other hand, I don't mm. want, like you said, I don't want to be in that intellectual side without also having the emotional connection. Because first of all, the, mm-hmm. the person I'm talking to won't believe me. <laughs> and second of yeah. all, it won't be genuine. It won't be authentic. It'll be like, like broken in half, so to speak. 
Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I really notice that in public speaking or in just conversation. You know, like if if there isn't a heart connection, like like why in public speaking have they found in the last ten years? You know that the, the essence of good public speaking is telling stories. And of course, you know, the essence of watching movies and television is to hear good stories. You, you, you want to hear a story. And why do you want to hear a story is because it, it takes you into your heart. It yeah. takes you into a, a feeling place. Right. And, and then we learn from the feeling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like with children, there, there, there's so much research that's proving that, that children learn better from a play atmosphere than they do an intellectual atmosphere where they're just being given a bunch of facts. You know, they, they, they learn much better if they can, if they can experientially play their way through fun and through ease and joy into the understanding of the principles that, that we want to teach them. You know, they, they, they learn more from the enjoyment of life than they do from struggling with intellectual understanding. It's interesting you mentioned children, too, because Abraham refers to children a number of times, often in answer to questions at workshops from parents mm -hmm. who are dealing with difficult mm -hmm. situations with their children and so forth. And, and the Abraham answer, if I can kind of encapsulate the whole thing, tends to be let them be who they are, love them for who they are, don't try to turn them into something else, um, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it, that part really resonates with me for a number of reasons, not the least of which is I actually helped to found an alternative school, and the, the foundational idea behind that school was you let the kid do whatever they want to do with their day. You don't actually structure their mm -hmm. day in any way for them. You don't, you don't create lesson plans. You don't build curricula. You don't um, you know, decide, okay, we're going to be studying mollusks today, and everyone's going to study mollusks. It's not the way the school works at all. The, the kid decides what he's going to do that day, and it may not be what uh -huh. is traditionally considered study at all. In fact, a yeah. large portion, it's called the Sudbury model, a large portion of what happens in the Sudbury model is p kids just playing and playing and playing and playing and playing, sometimes to the, the distraction of their parents, like, is this kid ever going to study anything? But when it ends up, <laughs> seriously, oh, yeah, that's a big issue uh, among parents in the, in the Sudbury model. But what happens over right. time when, you, when the, the parent learns to kind of let go and just trust it is you realize that everybody, and you, I, I talk about it in terms of kids because obviously it's kids in the school, um, but kids are born with what I call a built-in compass. And it's kind of the same thing that Abraham talks about. It's a built-in, innate knowing of what they need to do next, of what they need to learn next, of what they need to play next. And if they, if you just let them follow their noses, so to speak, they eventually teach themselves or teach each other because kids are really good at teaching each other. They eventually learn what it is they need to learn in all the different ways that adults want them to. So adults want them to learn to read, to write, to do arithmetic, to well, learn something about perhaps sciences or social studies or whatever else. You know, the <clears> kids <throat> will learn that. And, and the interesting part is they'll learn it in proportion to what that particular kid needs to learn, which is not necessarily what that particular kid needs to learn. So they won't all learn it equally, but they will mm -hmm. learn it in context with what their own interests are. Bottom line mm -hmm. is when they come out of that, that kind of a school environment and graduate, the, the, I don't know what the exact numbers are. I saw statistics on it one time. But uh, if you look at, for instance, the person who comes out of the regular public school system, probably about a 50 to 75% chance they, they have no idea what they want to do with their lives. Whereas the kid coming mm -hmm. out of the Sudbury school system, 50 to 75%, maybe even 90% likelihood, they know exactly what they want to do. 
And the reason yeah, is so they've, cool. had, they've had all this time to play and explore and play and explore, and they've tried out a whole bunch of stuff, most of which they discarded, which can drive the parents crazy. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they decide they want to learn the violin. They try it for a week, and they give it up. Like, wait, wait a minute, you just started. <laughs> you know, yeah, or, or, yeah. Or, or, you know, they, they, they try to ride a bike, and they ride the bike, and they love riding the bike, and then they're riding the bike forever. Well, they never get back to playing the violin. Oh, my God, oh, my God. You know? Well, the fact yeah, is, yeah. when the kids follow that kind of route, they're experimenting. They're trying this. They're trying that. They're saying, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yeah. And eventually, when they yeah. get out of the school, they know exactly what they want to do because they've been able to yeah. work through all that stuff. Whereas the kids sitting in the classroom, he's being told every step of the way, you're going to study social studies right now. Now, we're, we're going to be covering World War I and the era leading up to World War II, which includes the Great Depression. And the kids go like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because exactly. it's not in alignment with what that kid needs to do. So there's exactly. a perfect example of it. It's so great. I mean, I so wish I went to a school like that. Oh, but me in, too. <laughs> in a way, I'm I'm trying to live my life that way now. Right. You know? And I, I encourage my clients to find their answers to their dilemmas, you know, whatever, is through feeling their way there. And that's it sort of seems like with each client and with my own life, I'm always trying to get back to the point where they're enjoying the journey. They're enjoying the journey. They're enjoying the journey. You know, they're feeling good now so they they can feel their way into the state of being they desire. Uh, when I was getting into dating, Abraham was asked, how, Abraham, how would you date? And they'd say, we would do it passionately, um, prolifically, um, with no strings attached. You know, I mean, they basically said we would just sift and sort completely from a place of having fun we would just we would go out with different people for the sake of having fun and we would just get do it as passionately and as freely as we could and not, not attach any strings to the process and he says and you do that for a while you're going to know who you want to be with yeah you're going to have dated an, enough different people that you'll feel like you know well i know i don't want those qualities i don't i know i like these qualities and and you'll feel your way to this person, and you'll be vibrating with it, and, and that that person will show up in your life because you're vibrating. You're just doing the same thing that kid did, you know, in going through all those different fun ways. And eventually they say, I just love playing the violin, and I love, you know, making um, architecture. You know, I just mm -hmm. love designing things. Mm -hmm. And And they end up doing some kind of amazing work where they're, going out and they're playing violin with a whole bunch of cool people. They're in a great band and they design these amazing structures that are blowing people's minds, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, to uh, draw it's again so from, cool. that, from that Sudbury environment situation, when you, when you're running a school and you're starting a school like that, of course you, you get parents who are the, the ones who are interested in sending their kids there. They're not necessarily totally gung ho. They still have some doubts because that's, yeah. So far, experience you know, so far from the experience of what public schools are. So you know, it's kind of a big shift to make that shift. And so mm -hmm. when you're trying to help somebody like that, you, one of the things that you say is, well, you know, we we have this this ingrained belief that that we've taught ourselves that says, well, we have to have the complete education. We have to have been taught all the right things and so on and so forth. We have to have the grade structure. Mm -hmm. We have to have the credentials, all mm -hmm. that. And if you mm -hmm. want to, if you want to understand why this other approach works better. You have to ask questions like, when was the last time you solved a quadratic equation? When was the last time you read a Shakespearean play? In fact, do you know what a quadratic equation is? <laughs> when was the last time you took a course in chemistry? When was the last time right. that you took a fine arts course? 
you know, what what do you believe is the important distinction between WC and Chopin in terms of the development of music? And mm-hmm. and, and you start looking at it that way, you realize none of it made any difference. My my life right. is not at a great lack. Well, actually, I do know how to solve a quadratic equation. But even if I didn't know how to solve a quadratic <laughs> equation, my life would not be at a great lack. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Right. In fact, I noticed one of the things I noticed is I'm actually very good at math. Math was, was probably my strongest suit. And you have these little puzzles that show up on on Facebook. You know, they'll give you like this long, crazy equation to solve. And uh-huh. it's amazing how many different answers you get out of it. People have no oh. idea how to actually solve basic arithmetic problems that have you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division all wrapped up into the same equation. So you get answers mm. all over the board, and you just laugh at it mm. because, I mean, I, mm. I happen to be very good at there's a There's a little thing called PEMDAS that you use to decide what order to do your calculations in. And if you follow mm-hmm. that, then you always come up with the right answer. But but I know people who take those things in Facebook and they come up with the wrong answer. And these are kids, you know, not kids, they're adults who, when as kids, were A students, and they can't solve the equations. Mm. And, uh-huh. and, and yet they're huh. perfectly functioning adults. They function very well in life. So where's the great lack that they that they couldn't properly do the arithmetic? Mm-hmm. Well, there isn't any. I mean, they may struggle a little balancing their checkbook, but probably most of them don't even balance the checkbook. They probably just check to see what the balance is and then spend it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so at one point you ask yourself, What's the importance of putting through putting people through all these structured situations in school? What does that actually produce? And you do the same thing right. with life. You say, what's the point of putting ourselves through all these structured situations in life? And now you're starting to open yourself up to the idea, well, maybe I don't need to live in my head quite so much. Maybe I can actually spend my time in my heart some more and you know, make it more of a balance. Yeah, and maybe our natural talents and our natural proclivities, the things that really turn us on in life – will come when we spend more time in a feeling state. Right. You know, I think that's that's what's key to me. That's that's the main reason I I want to be in my feeling state is because I want to be feel fulfilled. And and I I'm I feel fulfilled when I do the thing that is unique to me and those unique things to me, those wonderful self-expressions come forward when I'm when I'm feeling when I'm feeling my way, not when I'm thinking my way into who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling my way into what is the same way the kid does. Each of those kids is completely unique, but they feel their way into who they are. And I love that. You know, I'm congratulations on creating that. Yeah, That's oh, cool. it was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun. I've actually thought about doing it again sometime, but uh, oh, that, yeah, that's awesome. something we'll have to save for a topic another day because actually we're down to our last minute, so we're out of time. But before we leave everybody <laughs> behind here, we want to ask you, first of all, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. You don't want to miss any of the episodes because we're on Five days a week, twice a day, plus once on Sunday, so that's 11 times a week. Uh, just go to LOAToday.net. On iPhone, you can go to iTunes or to your podcast software. On Android, you can go to Google Play. Any of those places, you can subscribe to LOA Today. And, Tom, if someone wants some coaching help, a little private uh, assistance, how do they reach you? Uh, they can reach me through my website, which is yourjoy.com, Y-O-U-A-R-E-J-O-Y.com. And I have a page on there where you can sign up for a free discovery session, which is one hour of free coaching with me. And then you can see whether you, you like to work with me or just maybe address a problem that you've got. Fantastic. Tom, it's been a pleasure as usual. Thank you. It has, Walt. Thank you so much. We'll see you all Bye, next everybody. time. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.